Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts, and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews, general manager, Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Stacey Domaluski is a research and innovation coordinator with the Beef Cattle Research Council. She grew up on a cow-calf operation in southern Alberta and received both her bachelor's and master's of animal science at the University of Saskatchewan. Stacy now lives on a grain farm near Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. At the Beef Cattle Research Council, Stacy works primarily in the areas of forage, environment, and cattle feeding and feed grains. Her role involves both being involved with research funding and the development and maintenance of the extensive resources available on beefresearch.ca. According to the map on the Government of Canada's Canadian Drought Monitor, as of June 23, 2023, close to half of Canada is currently abnormally dry or in moderate drought conditions. Further to that, there are pockets in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Quebec, New Brunswick, and the Northwest Territories, that are currently either in severe or extreme drought. Especially in the Prairie Provinces, the drought situation has worsened in the past month. The Beef Cattle Research Council released an online article on June 16th titled Facing Drought, Six Things Beef Producers Can Focus On, and another article on August 18th of 2021 that was titled Decision Making During Drought. The links for both BCRC articles and the drought monitor are located in the show notes. Today, we are joined by Stacey Domaluski, Research and Innovation Coordinator at the Beef Cattle Research Council, to discuss these articles and more in-depth measures producers can take to prepare for a drought situation proactively, rather than reacting once it's too late. Welcome to the show today, Stacey. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited to chat about this a little bit more. So the first idea shared in the article is about feed inventory. How can producers measure their feed inventory and what might they need to keep in mind while they do this? Yeah, so the first thing is, you know, looking at any carryover from last year. So looking at bales you have in the stack or feed in a bin, that's the easiest thing to do. And then, of course, it comes down to looking at what you have available that you're growing. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky because especially as, you know, temperatures are increasing, I know a lot of areas are dealing with grasshopper pressure. So that's the stuff that's changing rapidly. And so making sure you're kind of getting out, walking the fields, 
and understanding what's what's happening and you know being aware that your yield may be different than previous years and probably will be reduced and so putting that into your plan going forward and making sure that you do have a plan b for either how you're going to manage those forages or adding additional feed supplies would you say with say the grasshopper pressure and the heat that we're experiencing that those conditions could change kind of like week to week or day to day as far as what amount of forage is left in the fields? Yeah, so they could change quite rapidly. I think, you know, the minimal you want to be doing is checking it once a week, but it's, we're definitely seeing instances where a crop that, you know, might've been good for grain last week, all of a sudden this week, you're looking at salvaging that crop. And so it's kind of about constant monitoring and and being aware of what's happening out there because it does rapidly change. It's a very quick change. The second item that was in the article is feed testing. Why is feed testing so important during drought years? Yeah, so some of these basics in drought years become even more important. Um, It's so tempting to want to cut costs where you can, but feed testing is not one of the places to do it. Oftentimes in drought, you're forced to feed different forages or crops that you're not used to feeding. And so having those feed tests available helps you make a plan of how to utilize those feeds. Also with drought, the quality just might not be the same as what it's been in the past. And so you can't rely on previous tests to tell you how a field is performing. So making sure you get that feed test that you can then either use yourself or work with a nutritionist to figure out how to best utilize your forages, what class of cattle needs to be fed, what forages. We do actually have a really cool calculator on our website where once you get the feed test, you can go through and put in the numbers that you get back and the class of cattle you're trying to feed. And it kind of just goes through and gives you like red light, green light situation of like red light, whoa, there's something either missing in this feed or that's a problem or green light. Yeah, it's good to go feed it as is. It'll meet their requirements. A couple things to pay attention when it comes to the feed test in a drought year is the NDF content. And so that's your fiber content. In drought conditions, the fiber tends to get higher as it loses its quality and matures. And so if you're feeding a really high NDF feed source, so perhaps you're thinking of feeding straw and some kind of energy supplement, you just have to be a bit cautious because you can get issues with impaction where the cattle's guts are actually filling and they're not able to digest enough energy to keep them going. The other thing to be cautious with is vitamin A because vitamin A is in leafy green forages and there's not a lot of those out there. And so you can definitely easily become deficient in that, which can cause a whole host of problems down the line. So keeping an eye on that on the feed test. Perfect. And I will get the link for the feed test from you and make sure that it's in the show notes. So if any of our listeners are looking for that information, they can grab it out of there. Are there any potentially dangerous substances, um, maybe that you haven't already mentioned, that need to be tested for? And what could the implications be of eating these for cattle? Yeah, so the most common one we see during drought conditions is nitrates, which cause nitrate poisoning. There's a whole host of unpleasant symptoms, but death is the ultimate cause there. So we want to avoid that at all costs. And this is just caused with stressed plants or stressed annual 
feeds. It's not such a big of a deal on forages or your legumes, but especially if you're looking at feeding, you know, a cereal crop or something like that, getting that nitrate test is super important. This is often an additional test you have to do on your feed. So it's an additional box you have to check to get it added to the feed test. And then the other thing to look for on that feed test is make sure you're sending it to a lab that's going to give you a percentage value of what is in it for nitrates, not just a yes, there's nitrates present or no, because that'll help you decide if how you're going to manage that feed. If they're extremely high, you might want to not use it at all. If they're lower, you might be able to blend that off. The other thing to look for, the other big one during drought is sulfur. This can be high in some salvage crops. So things like canola can be higher in sulfur or sulfates. And what becomes an issue is it's also in your water. And so you might not be that bad in the feed or the water, but when you combine the two of them, you can have a bit of a wreck. And so making sure to pay attention to that sulfates number as well. And we're going to chat a little bit more about that water testing a little bit later on. If feed doesn't meet the nutritional requirements for the class of cattle that it's being fed to, what ideas do you have for supplementation that might be more accessible during a drought year? Yeah, so this is where things get tricky because, you know, if your forage is low in quality and you're having trouble finding feed, that's that always becomes the issue. It's very location dependent. There may be certain byproducts you're able to utilize from the human food market or from other feed sources, maybe talking to your feed mill, seeing if they have something like screenings. Of course, if you're going to be feeding screenings, be really cautious about ergot and look into ways that you can reduce ergot toxicity on your operation. We even saw two years ago, a lot of people feeding weeds like kochia. Of course, that comes with some issues as well, but that feed test becomes even more important and then maybe working with your neighbors to perhaps salvage some crops that they aren't able to combine. Yeah, it might be a good kind of mix if you happen to have your cattle operation close to somebody that's got a grain farm and they're exactly. looking for a way to salvage that crop and you're looking for a way to feed. So maybe some partnership opportunities there. Absolutely. And I'll add into our website, we do have a calculator for that as well. If you're looking to figure out what you need to pay for that resource or, or how to compensate for that, there's a calculator that helps you figure that out. Because I know that was an issue two years ago as well. So the third item in the article is alternative feeds. What are some other ideas of alternative or salvaged feeds that might be considered? So when it comes to salvaged crops, this can be basically any type of feed source that isn't able to be combined or isn't worth being combined. Things like canola, lentils, peas. There's opportunities to graze these, to bale them, to silage them. And so how you utilize those is really up to, to you as the producer. Once again, just the reminder to, if you're using these different crops to make sure that you're getting that feed test and maybe even working with a nutritionist to figure out how to put those into your, your cattle feed. How can fungicide, herbicides, or other chemicals impact the ability to use some of these salvage feeds and what impact can they have on cattle? 
Yeah, so this is really important to consider. Um, most types of chemicals that are used in crops have a livestock withdrawal date. And so making sure you're reading the label if they're your own crops to figure out what that withdrawal date is. So it might be 10 days, 20 days before you can harvest that feed for livestock feed and, and complying with that. If you're buying in feed, making sure that you're asking those questions as to what it's been sprayed with. You can often find chemical labels online. And if you can't, most agronomists would be happy to help you out to figure out what that is. Of course, the hot topic this year is most of the grasshopper sprays that are being used because they are a problem. Those are actually not on label to be used for cattle feed. So if an of forage or a feed has been sprayed with the grasshopper spray, it can't actually be sold for feed for livestock or fed to livestock. That's interesting. So it doesn't matter how long after it's been sprayed, it just yeah, can't be fed. Requirement. Yeah. What are some of the benefits and drawbacks of using alternative feeds? So the first benefit is, you know, the obvious one that you get feed when it's a hard time to find, find forages um, or maybe grow them yourself and can help you to get you through that winter and prevent destocking or culling that may have to happen to accommodate lower, lower forage acres. Sometimes these are available at lower prices as well, because you're kind of making the best out of a bad situation. And so it might be a bit of a deal as as opposed to perhaps buying in hay or something like that. The cons are that it just requires more careful management. Oftentimes, this isn't something you're used to feeding. And so you're less familiar with it. Um, it may require you to make adjustments to your equipment. You might be having to blend things together to meet animal requirements. And then, of course, there's the possibility that there may be some of those anti-nutritional factors or toxins that you want to test for. And so the other thing that we kind of alluded to earlier was water testing. So why is testing water so important and how often should water be tested during a drought? So it kind of depends on your situation, but testing water is extremely important because as the temperatures get hot and water sources start to dry up, all of the particles in it become concentrated. And so toxins or things like that, that weren't a problem, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that can become a problem as that water starts to evaporate and they concentrate. So you can get a number of problems that way. It's definitely not a one and done type thing. So you can't just test at the beginning of the year and hope it turns out all right for the rest. It might be a little dependent sometimes monthly. If it's a really heavily relied on water source or it's quite hot, you might want to test more than that as well. If you're seeing anything like blue-green algae around, that's the thing you want to test for. You can treat for that, but you've, you've got to take your cattle off while you do that. And then watching for signs in your cattle if they're not drinking. You know, if they're standing around, you're not physically noticing them drinking. They're gant problems with diarrhea, things like that. So paying attention, sometimes like the water test might be at the upper limit and okay still, but the cows just won't drink it. And then you've got to find an alternative solution as well. So next on the list is culling. At what point do you consider culling and which animals would you be culling first? So it all goes back to that feed inventory and what you need to decide when you've taken 
taken stock of what you have available for feed, what you can access for feed is, if, if that is not enough to meet the requirements of the cattle you have, are you going to make the decision to buy additional feed or call? And of course, that's a tricky situation and every operation is different as to what's right for them at that time. But the thing you don't want to do in that situation is try to stretch that feed supplies to cover more cows. They'll start to lose body condition score. And then you can get a whole host of problems that can go from, you know, making this a, a summer problem right into the next year, reproductive wrecks and other long-term repercussions. So that's what we don't want to do. Ideally, if you're faced with having to make a big call on your operation, you've had a plan in place and, and developed a drought plan that'll help you decide which animals you want to call. But of course, it's starting off with those easy calls for lack of a better term. So anything with bad feet, temperament, udders, quality issues, anything that you might have let slip by in the past, now is the time to maybe let those ones go. It might also be the time that you want to think about preg checking and then calling any opens or uh, late cattle to get them so you're not having to feed them all fall. The tricky thing is with many years of drought, there's a lot of people that have kind of already went through those easy calls and that's where you're faced with the much tougher decisions. And at what point should producers be looking to destock past just the point of calling the bottom end animals? Yeah, so once again, looking at that forage availability um, and what's there. And so doing, doing that math and figuring out what you have for feed what you can access for feed, and then what the cost is of buying feed versus culling cattle and, and what makes the most sense on your place. Is there places you can send cattle? I know we're going to talk about dry lotting um, in the future here. So are there other options? But if it's looking like you don't have the, the feed available, trying to make that decision based on the economics of your own operation as to what makes the most sense for you. So I gave really you important. some kind of questions that were very open-ended there, I guess, that would really depend on the goals of that individual operation. That's for sure. It's a bit tricky to decide on calling. Like it's a very tough decision and mm -hmm. often it tends to be a bit of an emotional decision as well. And so that's why it's really good if you do have that plan in place to go back to a plan you made when you weren't in a drought situation to know, you know, what class of cattle makes the most sense to get rid of and, and when you want to think about culling versus buying feed. Yeah, that's a really good point. The emotional part of it, I think, is something that often gets overlooked, but it is so important. Yeah, we've worked for years and years to build up a herd. And then if you have to get rid of it, it can be really hard to do. And it's a time that stress is already high. You've mentioned a few things already, but what future impacts can culling early have on the remainder of the herd? So the most important thing here is that it helps keep the remainder of the herd in better condition going forward. So those cows are more likely to rebreed sooner. They're more likely to be in better health going forward. And so you're really maintaining the, the core herd and keeping their condition and, and health going forward. It's very expensive to feed up a body condition store. So if you know, you're bringing those cows in at a lower body condition score, say a two out of five, 
rather than a three, which is what we're trying to target going into winter, the cow energy demands are, are the highest and then your feed quality is the lowest. And so that's the situation that you want to avoid. Like you said earlier, if it is a year when there's drought conditions and then you're trying to stretch that feed, you've got low quality feed to start with, then definitely trying to feed up a body condition score when your cows are already a little thinner than they should be. And your feed's definitely going to be poorer because of the year itself. Then that's going to just be so much harder. Exactly. (laughs) What are some things for producers to think about when they're deciding whether to keep cows or heifers if destocking is required? So once again, this is a decision that really is unique on each operation. Heifers, they're new genetics, so they might have been something that you're trying to implement into your herd, but cows are perhaps already adapted to your environment. Heifers obviously are younger, so they're going to be in your herd longer, but on the other hand, your cows may have already paid for themselves with the number of calves they've had. Heifers eat less, but they need higher quality feeds to get them through and get them rebred into the second cycle, um, which is sometimes a problem with heifers, whereas cows are more likely to rebreed than heifers. And then, of course, just some of the, the things with heifers as well, that they often require more labor at calving. So if that's something you're wanting to avoid, perhaps moving towards cows um, instead. You have lots of really good points there. Thank you. Can you share a little bit of information on what dry lotting the cow herd entails and why this might be beneficial for the future of pastures? Yeah, so this is basically any situation where you're bringing those cows in and bringing the feed to them rather than making them go out and harvest it themselves. So it could be just bringing them into the corrals, letting them winter around home, the corrals or even a sacrifice pasture right close to your house or your yard. Or it could be sending them off to a feedlot somewhere and basically paying people to overwinter those cows for you. What this does is it helps to take some pressure off of those pastures. It can also be a plan B. So if um, you're extended grazing and perhaps you had to put your cows out earlier, so maybe September as opposed to November when you were planning to, it could be an option for when you have to bring those those cows in sooner. Um, it, it takes the pressure off the pasture and allows additional time for it to regrow. But of course it is a more expensive option than having those cows out extended grazing. That being said, it is a little easier to maintain cow condition or even to supplement. So if you're having to supplement some of these alternative feed sources, it's a lot easier to do in a corral situation where you can just drop a bale in or or some supplemental feed. And then of course, if you're sending them away to to a feedlot, um, something to think about is biosecurity. So those are actually leaving your herd. They're probably commingling, even having nose to nose contact across a, a fence with other cattle. And so how are you going to integrate those cows back in when you get home? trying to have a plan for springtime when they do come home and if you're going to commingle them with the rest of their herd or quarantine or or how you're going to maintain biosecurity on your operation. And the last idea that was on the list was early weaning. What positive and negative impacts can this have for both cows and calves? So early weaning is one of the options to once again help take some pressure off that pasture. Creep feeding can help as well, but 
early weaning is the thing that will of course take the most pressure off your off of your cows in your pasture the cons to this is you still have these calves and you need to do something with them um so you're either forced with the decision of do you sell them at a lower weight or do you feed them yourself and increase that weight to get them to what would be their average, you know, normal market market weight. Um, but of course, then you're required to feed them still. And when feed is short, that might be a tough decision. There is usually some compensatory gains in these smaller calves going into a feedlot. So they do tend to gain more right at the beginning, which is great if you're going to background them yourself. But of course, if you're, it doesn't really matter if you're sending them away, shipping them young. But the benefit is that it definitely helps the cow herd out as well as your pasture. So a dry cow eats about three quarters the amount of a lactating cow. So there's less demand on that forage. And it also helps that cow to recover and get back into better shape going into the next calving season because we know that she's probably going to be eating a lower quality forage going forward just if pasture conditions are already looking tough. Further to those ideas that we've already talked about, what other steps could producers take to be proactive in their drought planning or to drought-proof their operation altogether? Yeah, so over the last 10 years, the Canadian prairies have been in drought about 40% of the time. And so it's something to keep in mind that when you're thinking about drought, this is a very real situation that most of us are going to be faced with. I'm not sure if there's anything we can do to completely drought proof an operation, but we can definitely work to have a plan in place of how to manage that situation when it arises, because I think it's it's probably quite common. So if you don't have a drought plan in place, you know, making it, we already talked about making these decisions when you're emotional is, is tricky. So maybe now is not the time to be making that plan. But, you know, in future years, looking back and trying to decide how you will make these decisions if and when drought happens. One of the things we haven't talked a lot about yet is pasture management. In drought, those good practices or best management practices we talk about all the time become even more critical and even more helpful to an operation. So things like rotational grazing, if we're able to move those cows and allow that pasture to rest, when forages aren't growing, their roots aren't growing either. So they don't have that ability to, to recuperate as quickly. And so if we're able to continue to, you know, rotationally graze cattle, maybe even group bunches together so that you're moving them more frequently, but giving that pasture more time to rest is helpful. Leaving litter, this is a big one. It's so easy to be tempted to graze pastures down when you're short on feed, but it just creates a long-term problem. When you're overgrazing those pastures or grazing it too short, you know, you're opening up that soil to be exposed to sun to heat the soil up, causing increased drought pressure. And then, of course, those pastures aren't recovering as quickly and being um, turned around to be able to use again. So just maintaining some of those kind of good pasture or good management practices is even more critical in a drought. Maybe one of the other things you might want to consider, and once again, this is something to think about in that drought plan, is is there a place you could have perhaps a sacrifice pasture? I know that's not always the greatest option, but is there one, one place that you can dump cattle on, maybe supplement their feed, and then 
allow other places to regrow while they're on that pasture. And hopefully once the weather changes and drought starts to go away, you can leave that pasture to recover for quite a while. And then of course, the final thing is reaching out to professionals. Once again, I know it's easy to want to, and it just makes sense. You're wanting to cut costs in a drought, but those nutritionists, vets, agronomists, things like that can be extremely beneficial, especially when you're faced with circumstances you're not familiar with. They, of course, are dealing with this with all of their clients and operations, so they can give you a bit bigger picture view and help you to make some of those decisions as well. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, I actually, so I wrote a few notes here of things to ask you about. But first of all, the being in a drought 40% of the time, so two out of five years in Canada, yeah. we can expect for it to be dry. So that yes. is a really good reason to have some kind of plan in place so that when we get into this two out of every five years, there's mm -hmm. some kind of path to direct producers. Yeah. Do you know on the BCRC website, if there is a drought plan outline or a document that helps producers to kind of create a drought plan or know where to start? Yeah, so we don't have a specific document like that. That would be a really great one to create. But we do have our website. If you go to beefresearch.ca slash drought is where we kind of, it's a placeholder for all of our drought resources, because once again, we realize that this is not a one-time situation. And in there, it does kind of talk through some of the things that you're wanting to have in place for that drought plan. Perfect. So the last kind of question that I have is what is a critical rain date and how can this be used in a drought plan? So when I first heard the term critical rain date, I really thought it was going to be something like August 7th or like an actual date. But unfortunately, it's not that easy. So what this is more about is knowing your crops that you have and their growth curve. So understanding when those crops have reached the point of maturity where if they get rain, it's not actually going to increase their production or, or get you more forages. Of course, you can always get regrowth or things like that, but that crop is kind of done at that point. And so what this is helpful with is when you're in that critical decision-making time, you know, a crop that you might have been thinking you were going to combine when you get past that critical rain date, you might realize that it's not actually going to fill. It's not going to be a useful crop. And so you might want to be thinking about salvaging, turning your cows out to graze. So it helps you in that moment to make those kind of split second decisions of when it's time to pivot and change your plan. So knowing that and being aware of what you're growing and how it grows, its growth cycle, things like that can help you make that plan up front, but then also when you're in the thick of it, knowing when it's time to move on to plan B or C or D. We use the critical rain date here a little bit too, and we're definitely not as dry this year as a lot of people are. And we're very thankful for that. We kind of say like, if we don't get X amount of rain by whatever date, then maybe we call those bottom end cattle thinking about it too, for pastures as well as, as our cropland. So yeah, that's a great point. It kind of sets into cascade all of those other decisions besides just the pasture management ones. Mm -hmm. So are there any other ideas, resources, or information that you'd like to share with listeners before we wrap up today? 
I think the biggest thing I'd already mentioned, but at beefresearch.ca slash drought, we do have a number of different resources um, and links to most of the things that I have mentioned and talked about today. And so that's where I'd encourage people to go. The other thing I always like to point out is, you know, sometimes help isn't just needed for your herd. And if but this is a stressful situation and if you're dealing with this and having trouble dealing with it, reaching out to community professionals or the Do More Ag website also has some great resources for mental health as well. It's ironic that you mentioned that because just before you started talking about it, I was like, you know, what we didn't mention at all was how hard this is <laughs> on producers yeah. and that it can take, yeah, not just on animals and not just on pasture and crops, but also on the people that are trying to work the land and manage the animals as well. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Thank you so much for taking the time, especially short notice, to meet with me today and for sharing so much information that is, I think, so timely for a lot of producers across Canada. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for having me on. It's always great to share what we have. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.